0: How many of you have been enjoying our uh, series that we've been doing? I know we... It's been Im- incredible, I believe. Um, the small groups, we're hearing so much great feedback from the small groups. Seriously, I mean, I've had a number of people like, Carol's a great preacher, but man, she hit it out the park these last few weeks. Eh? How many of you would agree? I think we can just like... Yeah, and I get to live with her, and, and she's my hero. She's my heroine. I am on drugs. <laughs> If your wife's your heroine, you're allowed to do <laughs> Uh Many of you remember the first three things that we shared in this series. You matter to God. Amen. Rick Warren, who wrote Purpose Driven Life and What on Earth Am I Here For is really all about. Why did God create you? What did He create you for? What is our purpose while we're here on earth? We're not just hanging in there waiting to be zapped to heaven and then we can really get on with what we were created for. No, you were created to bring heaven to earth. And I think that most Christians, unfortunately, are living from earth to heaven, and they're not living like the Lord's Prayer says, Your kingdom come, your will be done, when I die and go to heaven, and until then I'm just going to stick it out and grit my teeth. Any of you know that song? Uh, We stopped singing that one a long time ago. Kingdom come, earth be done, uh, will be done on earth, here, where I am, as it is in heaven. And we're not yet in heaven. Earth is not heaven. Have you noticed? I think you've noticed that earth is not heaven. But while we're here, we are meant to bring heaven to earth. We are meant to be Jesus to this world. Carol, talking about you matter to God. And then worship and fellowship, the greatest command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second greatest command is like it, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Jesus said, a new commandment that you love one another is, I've loved you. Took it up a notch, right? And so, you know, we, we, we recognize that there's power in those. I'm not going to re-preach them. Like I say, please do get those podcasts and you can play it in your car. Some of you stuck in traffic, getting all upset with the traffic. Why don't you just go, what a glorious opportunity to listen to podcasts and music and get full of the Spirit. Amen. So today, I'm going to move on to the fourth exciting episode in our powerful, splendid Supernatural series. And I want to share a little story. Some of you might know Ryan and Kevin. Ryan's a nine-year-old boy. Kevin's six-year-old. And their mom is an amazing pancake maker. How, how many of you like pancakes? Okay, I'm an amazing, personally, I'm an amazing pancake eater. And um, so she, I mean, she does it right. She takes five minutes on every pancake. And they come out fluffy and full and the boys are sitting there salivating watching that first pancake and as it comes out it just goes floats in the air and goes onto the dish and plate now being two boys any mothers here who have boys you would know that they looked at that pancake and said Ryan why don't you have the first pancake no Kevin why don't you No, they were fighting over who gets the first pancake right and and Mom, who's a really righteous mom, decided this is a great opportunity for a moral lesson. And so she looks at them and says, Boys, don't you know that if Jesus were here today, he would say to his brother, You go ahead and have the first pancake, I can wait. And it's always better to be like Jesus. So Kevin's eyes get really big and Kevin turns to Ryan and he says, You're right, Mom. Brian, I'm gonna give you what is better. You be like Jesus. And so that's what we're talking about today, how to make the perfect pancake. No, sorry, wait, there's something. That's next week's lesson. Sorry, don't miss next week, how to make the perfect pancake. What I want to talk about today is the fact that you were created to become like Christ. You can go Roman over to Romans, and Romans explains really well in Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 is one of my favorite. And one of those, as you get to Romans 8.28, everyone probably knows that one. We know that in all things, God works together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. How many of you are called according to His purpose? Good. What about the rest of you? What about those out there? Do you know that everyone is called according to His purpose? He created everyone. He doesn't want anyone to perish. Peter says this, God does not desire any to perish but all to come to salvation. So there are certain people out there who teach that only a few were chosen by God and predestined to become Christians, the elect. No, God chooses all of you, but not all of them choose God. That's why Jesus said, many are called, few have chosen. It's not so much that Jesus said, oh, I'll choose you to get saved, but not you. That just flies in the face of everything Jesus taught. Would you agree? And so I want us to look at the verse that comes after it, which is so great and it says that from the very beginning God decided that those who came to him from when from the very beginning that those who came to him and all along he knew who would should become like his son that's been one of his purposes from the very beginning Some versions say, be conformed to the image of his son so that his son would be like the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So one of God's primary purposes is that you become like Jesus. Would you agree? I mean, many have taught that in essence, when we look at what discipleship should do for us is that discipleship should be making us more like Christ. I don't disciple people to become like me unless I'm being like Christ. And Paul had spent his whole life Chasing after, going through whatever it took to become so much like Jesus that He could say, you follow me as I follow Christ. And so when we talk about discipleship, you will see from these two scriptures that discipleship, God's heart, is that we might go through stuff, but in all of that stuff, He will use it for our good because He wants you to become like Jesus. Now, there are a whole bunch of scriptures there that I'm not going to go into today I've just put it there for your personal study, so take a picture of it, Zoom in on it, Get those scriptures. That's for personal study. Write them down if you don't get it. But Ephesians 2:10, 4:20 to 24, 5, one to two. just amazing scriptures on how to become more like Jesus. 1 Corinthians 11:1, 2 Corinthians 3:18, Philippians 3:7 to14. Brilliant passage of Scripture, which we may get to look at that today. And 1 John 3, 2-3, powerful scriptures. I read them out so that those listening to the podcast can also get those scriptures. So when you look in your books this week, you will see that this section is entitled Discipleship, Becoming More Like Christ. And what Rick Warren talks about in this next chapter on discipleship is how God disciples us through life. We also recognize, however, that there's another discipleship process that Jesus told us. And that is in Matthew 28. And you all know the Matthew 28 discipleship scripture, right? What we call the Great Commission. And Matthew 28, basically, we all know, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son. And we all know that he talks about the fact that part of that is teaching them to obey everything he's commanded. And then he says, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He didn't just go, I'm out of here, it's up to you. He said, now I want you to be Jesus. And I want you, as disciples of Jesus, to be disciples who make disciples that look like Jesus. Carol shared on this so well in the, you know, many of her teachings in terms of, if you just got one person saved and discipled them for a year to be like Jesus and to be able to disciple someone else, and they then did it with you the next year, they within what, 36 years or something? 33! Huh. In 33 years, what a godly number, the whole world would be saved and discipled. So if we truly took this to heart, those of us in this room could transform this nation. And so when we talk discipleship, we also recognize it's what we do with other people. We in this church teach about discipleship as discipleship being what Jesus did to his disciples when he walked out to them and he said, you follow me. What did he say? Come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So the initial call to be a disciple of Jesus was, first of all, follow. Now, as they followed Him, they didn't just go in the evening and hang out with Him and go to courses and seminars. They lived together. They walked together. They were in each other's houses together, fellowship together. Because let me tell you what Carol shared last week on being the church. Fellowship really is not just about coming to church on a Sunday and having people sit next to you, but letting them get in your life, speak in your life, iron sharpens iron, being able to have sister sandpaper and brother brillo pad, bristle brush, you know, help to rub off your rough edges. And we need that in our lives. So I just wanted to clarify that as you study discipleship in your books this week, He's going to talk about what I'm going to step into now, but we need to have that as a foundation on discipleship as well. So if you understand that God's goal is to make you more like Christ, then He's going to have multiple molding methods. Would you agree? Uh, It's not just one. It's not just, okay, here's your one tool to make you more like Christ. Just about everything He does is to make us more like Christ. And there's so many that you know we don't have time to go. Virtually everything we teach. Is that you'd become more like Christ. Would you agree? And yet my mighty Messiah's multiple molding methods, I'm going to look at three. I want to look at the transforming power of His truth, the transforming potential of troubles and trials, and the transforming presence of His glory. The primary focus of this particular episode in our series is going to be part two. So that's where we'll spend... The bulk of what I share but I I want to touch on the other two briefly because I think it puts it in context so when you meet in your groups this week you're able to understand how that fits together now the transforming power of his truth I'm not going to share a whole lot on that but I think we need to acknowledge that one of the ways we become like Christ is to know Christ Jesus said this we're talking about being a disciple of Jesus he said in John 8 verse 31 If you are truly my disciples, then you will abide in my word. Later on, he said, and my word abide in you. And then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So when Jesus says, abide in my word, it's different to just reading your Bible. Can you hear the difference? Now, Carol's taught this many times. The fact that reading your Bible is actually one of the greatest determiners of spiritual growth and maturity In terms of research and studies people who read their bible christians who read their bibles grow and mature quicker because the bible is full of life when you receive it and abide in it but i i want us to know that you can have head knowledge without heart knowledge and that's why we want to touch on these others because god wants us to not just know about jesus the world is full of people who believe their bibles but hardly ever read them charles spurgeon said i will find 10 people who are willing to die for the Bible for one who's willing to read it regularly, daily. Read your Bible, but let what comes from it abide in you and abide in that truth, because that'll set you free as Jesus shows you what's there. Amen? But then I want to look at the second part, which is really what this particular session is all about. If we talk about the transforming potential of troubles and trials, we've taught on troubles and trials many times before. You can go to our podcast, Talk on Suffering, Understanding It. Today, however, we don't want to just go back to that. We want to talk about how these things make you more Christ-like. Okay, so it's it's a bit of a different angle and a different view on how God uses this. Now, I promise that I'm sure we all have promises from Jesus. We all believe in His promises. You've stuck this one up on your fridge, haven't you? In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. In this world, you will have trouble. I believe one of the reasons Christians don't know how to embrace this process is because of buying into the extremes of the prosperity doctrine, where if you have faith and God's a good God, that life's just all going to go good. You're going to have everything sorted, and therefore, if it doesn't go good, then there's something wrong with you, or there's something wrong with God, or He doesn't love you enough, or He's not really good. And that's because if you have a faulty conclusion, you have a faulty premise. So too many Christians have a faulty premise. If God is good, and He's with me, then everything's going to go good. Well, that's in heaven. One of the quotes, I forget who said it, this world may be the only heaven unbelievers ever get to experience, but it's also the only hell that believers will ever get to experience. And while we're here, we're going to have some trouble. What does that word, thlipsis, trouble, literally mean? I've taught on this before. It literally means pressure. And when he says pressure, it comes from the base Greek word that literally means trouble, tribulation, affliction, suffering, anguish, persecution. Get the picture. In this world, you will have trouble, tribulation, affliction, suffering, anguish, persecution, pressure. I've shared on this before that you can take a nice, beautiful Colgate toothpaste tube. You can... Fill that thing with mud and worms and stuff and close it and it can look all good on the outside. And that's what most people going to church today, we all got the Colgate look. <laughs> but when you apply pressure, you see what's really inside. Yeah. Why does God want to apply pressure? Not because he hates you, but he wants you to see what's in there that doesn't look like him. That's not meant to be in there. Everything that is in your Jesus toothpaste tube that don't look like Jesus, he wants to squeeze it out. How do you squeeze? You have to apply. Oh, you guys are good. Rick Warren, you'll see it in your books when you go into it next week. But he makes two statements that I think are really powerful. He says, God uses trouble to teach us how to trust him. And that every problem has a purpose. So, it's not so much about what life's going to throw at you, it's about your perspective on what life's throwing at you. If you respond correctly, it brings about Christ-like character. Now, the Greek word character, an exact image or impression, formed under pressure to make it look like the original. In fact, the Greeks... We talk about character as engraving an image, carving or chiseling an image, or applying pressure such as hammering an image or a signet ring that they would press into the wax. It was always through pressure, and the, the engraving tool was often called the caractère. So if you want character, Jesus is going to apply some pressure to get some more of Him in you. It is also the word where they would take leather and burn an image into that leather. So, understand when we spoke, I I talk about the potential of troubles, trials, problems, pressure. Because, friends, troubles, trials, pressure, and problems will not make you Christ-like unless you make the right choices in them. In fact, let me tell you now that I've seen Christians fall away because of troubles, trials, pressure. Things going wrong. What life throws at them. You're either going to get bitter or you're going to get better. That's your choice. Corrie Ten Boom was in the same concentration camp as the others who got all bitter. And she came out better because she pressed into Jesus. Madame Jean Guillaume was thrown in a deep dungeon by her husband who didn't like her Christianity. And she found Jesus down there and said... That was the most glorious place I could ever be because I found Jesus. Wrote a book called The Depths of Jesus Christ by what she learned through that dungeon experience. So let me say this. Troubles and pressures by themselves will not necessarily make you more Christ-like. They can have the opposite effect. If I don't make the right choices. And so you have the ability to choose not the troubles that come, but your response to them. How are you going to react when they come? And inside of me, my volition is like a switch. And when, when you look at that switch, you must understand that what determines your destiny, destiny is not because you've got a prophetic word and you're just waiting for that to come to pass. Joseph, you're going to be great. Your father, mother, brothers, they're all going to bow down and worship you. Oh, I receive it, Jesus, at my destiny. I'm going to tell them now, you're all going to serve me. It's going to be glorious. I'm going to be great. Wait, what are you doing? What do you mean you're going to kill me? The life of Joseph was about a man who had the promised destiny. But every time someone had a promised destiny, they had to go through problems to get to the prophetic fulfillment. And Joseph became the second greatest man in Egypt, if not the greatest really, because he made the right choices. It says he pressed into God. When his flesh was tempted, he pressed into God rather go to prison, he pressed into God, and everywhere that he went, it says that because God was with him, he had favor, and so I can either choose the negative, listen to the lies of the enemy, Psalm, it's not one of those promises you put up on on your wall, but David says, this is what my enemies say, God has forsaken me, therefore pursue and seize him, for there is no one to deliver him, ever heard that, God has forsaken me, the enemy can just pursue and seize me no one's gonna deliver me. Any of you sung that song i have i have i haven't I haven't pressed in with all my trials and troubles the right way. God had to teach me more and more maybe I'm doing a little better. My wife helps me but let's embrace the positive. We already looked at romans eight twenty eight I look at no, Jesus, in all these things, he's going to work it together for my good because I love him and I'm called according to his purposes. Carol and I, one night, woke up to an interesting sound that wasn't meant to be at one in the morning. It went something like this. Um, that's What could that be? And then as I stepped out of the house, I realized there's a river flowing through my house. That wasn't there before. I don't think it's meant to be there. The Giza doesn't have that much water. Turns out that the main municipal pipe just outside our house had ruptured so extensively that it nearly washed away a whole bunch of houses. The guys at the bottom's houses were like this full of mud. And, and this just flowed through our house. And I was standing there just watching my furniture float away, thinking, this is terrible, God. And I heard him, you know when someone speaks to you and you just hear it in your head afterwards? I didn't hear the initial, but it sounded just like in my head as if someone had said it out loud. I'm using this to bless you. Little did I know that my wife had in in her heart to smash down all the walls of our entrance area to make it an open plan. If your wife is praying that, just smash the walls down. But we got a whole new house as a result of that flood. God will use them. It's been our life story. If we look at James, James 1:2 to 2, 5 talks about how do you choose? What are the choices you make? So let's look at James. James 1:2 to 5. Choose to consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds because the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so you can be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Don't you want that? Romans 5. We rejoice. (laughs) We rejoice in our hope and the glory of God, but we also rejoice in our tribulations and sufferings. I like the way he says we rejoice, not we should rejoice. We rejoice. Just look at yourself and say, I rejoice in my tribulations and sufferings. Because we know that suffering will produce perseverance. Perseverance, character, character, and character, hope and it's a hope that doesn't disappoint us so that's my choice i'm going to choose i'm going to choose joy and rejoicing perseverance hope maturity i'm going to choose to develop character completeness i'm going to choose those things it is a choice would you agree now when you face troubles they do not make you feel like jesus said a peace i give to you it doesn't feel peaceful When my sister passed away tragically a couple of weeks ago, I didn't feel peace. God had, I had to press into God to find that. Our house got broken into this weekend. Stole Joshua's computers and TV. And, and yet God protected us. They came right, virtually right next to Carol. Before our little doggies woke up and went woof and chased them out of the house. No one was hurt. Stuff can be replaced. but We press into God and it gives us new perspectives. Or we could say, God, why would you let that happen? I feel so terrified now. Choice. And so whenever you are going through things that don't feel comfortable, we all want to be comforted, right? We all want to press in to being comforted. And so you're either going to press into Jesus and His peace and His grace, which He said to Paul when Paul said, I can't handle this. What did God say? My grace is sufficient for you. He said, Lord, take it away. Jesus didn't say, okay, Paul, ask nicely. He said, no, Paul, my grace is sufficient. My grace will help you to become more like me through this trial. Try out for more of his grace when you're going through it. I mean, Paul understood this thing that pressing into God as our Messiah and our Savior. But so many people develop false messiahs in their lives. Carol teaches on this often. I'm, do you mind me using your teachings, darling? That when you are going through uncomfortable times, you can either press into God for comfort and your true Messiah. Or the world offers a whole lot of quick fixes, false messiahs. If I just got drunk right now. Maybe it's not even that. Maybe it's, I'm just going to go and watch movies until I can't think of anything else. Whatever it might be. So I want to put a picture up there of my three dogs. This is the tale of three puppies. So that's my three dogs, our three dogs. They're lovely, they're beautiful. Can you see how at ease they are? How happy they are? Uh, can you see the comfortable chair, the blankie? I mean, I am a good master to my dogs. They would agree. We are good masters. My primary purpose for my dogs is to have them as comfort companions. they my comfort companions, and they would say I'm a good master. Whenever it's food time, they get food. When they need a place to lie, the beds are right there. They sleep under the covers with us. They push us out. They get all the space they want. They get all their needs met. They are comfortable. They live a good life. They don't suffer. And if there is any suffering, they straight to the vet. And they, they don't always understand when I take them to the vet. But let me ask you this. What if my primary purpose in having those dogs was what they were bred for? To be vicious hunters who keep the little wildlife at bay look Like vicious hunters, right? <laughs> Do you think the way I treat them would be different? You see, we think if God is good, He's going to make our lives comfortable, but God's purpose is not to have you as a comfort companion. God's purpose is to make you the most powerful ruler and reigner. He's not just making your family, He's making you an army. And if His goal is to raise up God dogs who've got wolf in them because they all came from wolves even though you can't see it. Then he's going to mean, sorry guys, I'm going to let you go hungry because you have to learn to fend for yourselves. I'm not going to let you into the house. You've got to learn to endure hardship out there. You've got to be exposed to all sorts of weather conditions. I was in hospital a few weeks back with a guy who headed up the canine unit of the police force at one stage. And many of his dogs now serve in Iraq. And he said, they have to take the dogs through such harsh training, expose them to extreme temperatures, extreme conditions, so that when they get there, they don't react badly. Now, let me tell you, if I took my little dogs and gave them to him, they would feel like life's come to an end. (laughs) But you see, if that's their purpose, then the most good thing I could do for them, excuse the bad grammar. Actually, my grandma was a very nice lady the best thing I can do for them is let them go through that stuff because I know what they are going to be facing and I must prepare them for it. They don't understand. They go, why are you doing this to me? But when they're facing the extreme hardships and they trained for it, it's good for them. A little lesson from doggies. So let let me move on and wrap up Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 4. So we don't lose heart. Though outwardly we might be wasting away inwardly, we're renewed day by day. And Paul went through some stuff. And all the stuff he went through, he says, my light and momentary troubles. Light and momentary, Paul. Are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And you might think light and momentary. God, you said momentary. It's been six months. I was in extreme pain for 20 years with fibromyalgia. And God said, Andrew, I'm going to teach you how to hide in me. I had to learn some lessons before he healed me. And when Paul talks about light and momentary troubles, achieving the glory that outweighs them, he then says, therefore we fix our eyes on what is not seen, but what is unseen. What is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. Some people might have a lifetime of suffering. Because in eternity, that's light and momentary. Helen Keller was born at the age of 19 months. She got an illness, went deaf and blind. Now, at 19 months, she wasn't really very aware of the world. She had a teacher who taught her stuff. And Helen Killeth, the rest of her life, was deaf and blind. Can you imagine that? But why do we hear about her? Because she rose above them, become one of the greatest authors, speakers, influencers, because she made the right choices in her suffering. How many of you can see? How many of you can hear? Those listening to the podcast, I'm sure that's you. And she said this, Character cannot be developed in ease and quiet. Only through experience of trial and suffering can the soul be strengthened, ambition inspired, and success achieved. Jesus is our primary example. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorned its shame, Friends, let me tell you, the glory that far weighs it all is the joy set before us. So you can endure. And one of the ways I endure, I'm just going to wrap up with this. I press in, I persevere. But friends, let me tell you, trials and tribulations are not going to change you unless you are pulling into his presence in the process. I just want to leave you with this last verse. 2 Corinthians 3.18. That if we are standing before God, allowing Him to remove the veil, those are the lies we believe. Allowing His truth to remove those veils. It says that we reflect the Lord's glory. That we are being transformed into His likeness with ever increasing glory. So friends, let me tell you, when you're going through stuff, learn to hide in Him. Learn to gaze on His glory. Don't let it chase you away from Him. When you press into Him, you will be amazed at how He can take no matter what you're going through. And in all those things, turn it for good, that you'll become more like him. Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Father, we ask that you would remove every lie of the enemy that would cause us to think wrong thoughts about who you are. Every veil that blinds us from seeing the way heaven sees. Every veil that tells us, God's not been good to me because I'm going through this. But we stand today, and I ask right now for a grace in every life, no matter what we're going through, a grace to press in and say, Lord Jesus, make me more like you. I don't know what you're going through, but would you just right now see yourself in Jesus' presence, stand in His light and every trial every situation that's bringing turmoil in your soul every pressure would you just choose to take that and say lord jesus i give this to you i choose to hide in you i choose to persevere in joy and rejoice in hope i choose to let you use this to make me more like you you have the right premise you will draw the right conclusions the right premise is that God is committed more to your character than your comfort which do you prefer would you say this with me Lord Jesus I choose your character give me the grace to be comforted in you when life is not offering comfort thank you Lord Jesus mm. When you give the Lord a hand is good